Welcome to the Academic CME Podcast. As always, this program is a top quality accredited CE activity. If you would like to receive credit for this or any other Academic CME Podcast, please click the link in the description below or go to academiccme.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to this continuing education program titled Clinical Updates and Strategies for the Long-Term Management of Patients with Multiple Sclerosis. The topic for this podcast, which is our fourth, is a new approach to therapeutic targets, innate immunity in the central nervous system. I'm Dr. Fred Loveland, the Saunders Family Professor of Neurology and Director of the Korean Goldsmith Dickinson Center for Multiple Sclerosis at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York. I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Benjamin Greenberg, Vice Chair of Translational Research in the Department of Neurology and Neurotherapeutics and Director of the Neuro of Neuroimmunology Programs at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center and the Children's Medical Center in Dallas, Texas. Welcome, Ben. It's very nice to have you here. Thank you so much. Happy to be here, Fred. So let's start out with, with defining the elements of the immune system both innate and adaptive. Yeah, so this takes me back to uh, my days when I was doing a, a master's in immunology. And uh, we tend to spend a lot of time on the adaptive immune system, but forget that there is a very robust uh, uh, second part of the immune system, the innate. And so in general, the way we define the two is the innate immune system is our first line of defense against pathogens. It includes both physical barriers as well as cellular defenses against infections. And one of the key features of the innate immune system is it's uh, antigen independent. It will respond to foreign invaders um, uh, irrespective of the specific antigen being expressed by that foreign invader. The cells that are included in the innate immune system include natural killer cells or NK cells, macrophages, neutrophils, dendritic cells, mast cells, basophils, and eosinophils. Um, all of these cells are able to respond uh, to pathogens based on certain molecular features that are antigen independent across species of pathogens. That's different uh, from our second line of defense, which is the adaptive immune system. This too has uh, physical as well as uh, cellular responses and the, the key portion of the adaptive immune system are the T and B lymphocytes. And what defines the adaptive immune system is the fact that they respond in an antigen-specific way. They are antigen-dependent. So they will only be activated uh, when exposed to their uh, specific antigen. In general, the innate immune system, while being antigen-independent, is the first and fastest to respond to a pathogen. Uh, or any type of insult, and the adaptive immune system is secondary, delayed, but antigen-specific. And how might each of these play a role in multiple sclerosis? Well, so if we look at multiple sclerosis uh, research, whether it's neuropathological, animal research, immunologic research, over the last 50-plus years, the overwhelming focus uh, has been on the adaptive immune system. Uh, if we go back 50 years, this was defined almost universally as a T-cell-mediated disease with the presumption that the T-lymphocytes 
were reacting against myelin antigens. That literature obviously has changed over the decades with many researchers and ultimately clinicians and now therapeutics targeting not just T lymphocytes, but also B lymphocytes. We recognize the role that both cells of the adaptive immune system play relative to the pathogenesis of multiple sclerosis. There have been T and B cells identified from patients with multiple sclerosis reacting to a broad array of central nervous system antigens, including both myelin-based antigens and non-myelin-based antigens. But it's this adaptive immune system that formed the cornerstone of our focus of therapeutic interventions in multiple sclerosis for all of these decades. But at the same time, there is a role of the innate immune system relative to multiple sclerosis. And this has been seen in multiple of the cellular compartments related to the innate immune system, including natural killer cells, and in particular, macrophages. And macrophages, once they enter the central nervous system, are referred to as microglia. And those cells have multiple different forms. Some of them can be pro-inflammatory. Some of them can be anti-inflammatory and promote repair of damage that's been done. But one of the critical roles of the innate immune system relative to multiple sclerosis may be in its ability to attract lymphocytes out of the circulation across the blood-brain barrier and into the central nervous system where those lymphocytes can go on to perpetuate an immune response to CNS antigens. And one of the critical physical innate immune barriers against central nervous system inflammation is the blood-brain barrier. And one of the major signaling pathways that lead to an alteration of the blood-brain barrier in EAE, the mouse model of MS, or in humans with MS, are certain chemokines that are produced by macrophages, produced by microglia, allowing for a disruption of that blood-brain barrier and entry of lymphocytes into the brain's spinal cord or optic nerve. And so the innate immune system, just like the adaptive immune system, can have pro-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory characteristics within an individual, and hence can be an opportunity for therapeutic intervention, both on the innate or the adaptive side, to try and change the biology to be less inflammatory and more protective. So is there a precedent? Because there's some who have suggested that what happens when you, say, transition from relapsing remitting to secondary progressive MS, that, that the immune activity sort of sequesters within the central nervous system, which you kind of alluded to with the B cells, but some have proposed that it actually becomes an innate response at that point. I mean, is there a precedent in other autoimmune diseases where you can go from adaptive to innate? Um, there are. There are themes across different immune, uh, autoimmune diseases uh, where there is an interplay between the innate and adaptive immune system. And some of the ways to tease this out uh, beyond humans is through animal models. And so even if you look at animal models of uh, lupus, uh, there are versions, albeit in genetically bred uh, mouse strains, where you can see a lupus phenotype even with the removal of the adaptive immune system. So the, the innate immune system is able to lead to certain features or phenotypes of the autoimmune disease independent of the adaptive immune system. And in multiple sclerosis, uh, there are a couple big issues when it comes to sorting this out. The first is the chicken and egg phenomenon. What's the first domino to fall in the sequence of events that lead to the autoimmunity of multiple sclerosis? 
Is there an injury and innate immune system activation within the central nervous system that then triggers an adaptive immune response leading to pathology? Or is there an alteration of the adaptive immune system in the periphery leading to invasion of the central nervous system and propagating an ongoing inflammatory event over time? I don't think we've answered that question yet in multiple sclerosis. And what we've seen, as you mentioned, in progressive and secondary progressive multiple sclerosis is a deep-seated question around how much of the neurodegeneration is coming from resident innate immune cells, the microglia, within the central nervous system of MS patients, and how much of it could be due to slow, smoldering, ongoing presence of adaptive immune cells. So we've seen in research, both on the imaging side and the pathologic side, the formation of these lymphoid follicles in the meninges of patients with progressive multiple sclerosis, where you can see T and B cell activation uh, for years into what looks like progressive MS. But also we've seen on PET imaging studies and autopsy, activated microglial cells in what is otherwise normal appearing white matter of an MS patient. And there's some data to suggest that this long-term microglial activation leads to the slow degeneration that we think is at the core of progressive disease. So while in autoimmune diseases across the spectrum, we can see co-activation of the innate and the adaptive immune system, I don't think we've yet answered the question which or both is at the core of progression of these diseases. Yeah, so, so some of our colleagues have referred to this, the, the dichotomization there is, as inside out versus outside in. You know, and, and uh, some have even suggested that it starts with the oligodendrocyte and a degeneration there, and then the microglia are responding to that and then pulling in the immune response. Uh, it, it does raise the very interesting issue that here we are 20 some years into the therapeutic era of treating multiple sclerosis with primarily immunotherapies, and we don't know what the target is. I am equally impressed with that statistic. It's, um, we, we can look at it uh, glass half full or, or glass half empty, depending on your mood or philosophical approach. On the good side, despite having an incomplete understanding of the fundamental immunology leading to the progression of disease, we've been able to develop some very effective therapies that have essentially changed the lives of hundreds of thousands, millions of individuals worldwide and taken what was essentially a very doom and gloom diagnosis and really changed it into a manageable, very manageable, albeit chronic illness in a lot of novel ways. But on the glass half empty, uh, we are definitely missing opportunities uh, to lead to the ultimate of treatments uh, because we have an incomplete understanding of the biology that leads to the degeneration. And it's, it's worth noting, and, and your reference to the outside in versus inside out is apropos, we, we still refer to multiple sclerosis as a disease, but as I'm, I'm sure you would agree, this is really a, a syndrome. We are still uh, clinical phenotypers in neurology, and we are working hard to become molecular phenotypers because there are lots of different pathways that will lead to the same clinical and even radiographic pattern. And until we can separate out our uh, MS patients into their individual camps based on their immune or nervous system profiles uh, will still be scratching at the surface of this condition for quite some time. 
Yeah, back when I was a boy, the, the promise of immunotherapies was the targeted approach, the, the molecular knife, as it were, because the immune system can hone in so finely on, on specific molecular structures. And yet, here we are all the way down. And in fact, those diseases where we know what the target is in neurology, like myasthenia gravis or neuromyelitis optica, um, we're still using broad spectrum type of uh, immunomodulating agents. Um, so it's, it's kind of a, a big challenge for us moving forward. But, but as we talk about this, so go through, if you would, how our current therapeutic armamentarium impacts each of these limbs of the immune system. Yeah, I think it's actually worthwhile to take the historical lens relative to our MS therapeutics and to see how the field has evolved based on the drugs that were being target, target, uh, used um, and what their targets are because it really summarizes how our um, understanding of the condition really evolved over decades. So if we go back to really the original uh, disease-modifying therapy that had data from prospective randomized trials, uh, it's the interferon beta, obviously. And uh, originally, people forget um, that the original studies of interferon beta was with giving it intrathecally. So patients would come and they would get uh, injections of it into their spinal fluid until somebody finally told us, you can just give it in the skin and get the same immune effect. So thank you to that person uh, for enlightening us. And uh, that was thought to induce a shift, primarily targeted towards the adaptive immune system, primarily targeted towards T cells, and move from a pro-inflammatory to an anti-inflammatory profile, as well as have effects on the innate immune system, even early literature recognize that the use of interferon beta may change the blood-brain barrier. And so even in the early stages, even though we focused on the adaptive immune system, interferons uh, were used effectively to manage MS. Uh, along the same lines and around the same time, glutyrimer acetate was available. And this shows our thinking uh, around the disease based on its mechanism of action, very squarely focused on the adaptive immune system. The idea of inducing a shift from Th1 to Th2, uh, T-cell type inflammatory profiles, and reducing the number of relapses. And the idea was to take pro-inflammatory adaptive immune cells and make them anti-inflammatory. And then the next major breakthrough outside of immunosuppressants uh, was really natalizumab. And now we start to see an evolution of the intersection of understanding the immunology and the biology of the immune system relative to multiple sclerosis and a therapeutic. If we can't change autoimmunity, maybe we can just block the entry of the cells uh, from the central nervous system, keep them separated from their target antigen, and have an impact. And indeed, even today, I think it's fair to say natalizumab is uh, one of the more efficacious drugs, if not in the top of our efficacious drugs that we can use. So even if we can't fix the underlying problem, we can at least block it from leading to pathology. And then comes a shift in the therapeutics uh, relative to multiple sclerosis. We see the advent of oral therapies, including teraflutamide, fingolimod, dimethylfumarate, uh, each with very different mechanisms of action. Dimethylfumarate and teraflutamide targeting the adaptive immune system from a cellular uh, and clonal expansion perspective. 
and fingolimod taking a very different approach by restricting uh, the egress of lymphocytes out of lymph nodes, thereby restricting the amount of those lymphocytes available to go and attack the central nervous system. So all very different interventions to restrict that adaptive immune system. And then comes the next era of drugs, and it's really more the modern era we're in, of therapies that are there to deplete uh, cell populations or remodel the immune system. So these include our anti-CD20 monoclonal antibodies. Uh, this includes, for example, ocrelizumab uh, or recently approved ofatumumab, which are both anti-CD20 monoclonal antibodies that when you give them to patients, you see a decline in the B lymphocytes and associated with that a reduction in relapses and disease progression. But you need to be on therapy and remain on therapy over time to get the benefit. Compared to things like cladribine or alemtuzumab, where you take a drug that kills off a large percentage of the adaptive immune system. And in the case of alemtuzumab, you also take part of the innate immune system, those natural killer cells and you lead to a repopulation of the immune system with the theory that we are rebooting it in a way that loses the um, autoimmunity uh, that profiles multiple sclerosis, the antigen specificity that was driving disease. And so we really have changed dramatically over these decades from the subtle shifts to the conditions that lead to the drugs that lead to remodeling of the immune system or outright cell depletion. It's worth noting that of all those therapies, all the way from interferon to alemtuzumab to cladribine, ocrelizumab, all of them, heavily, heavily focused on the adaptive immune system uh, because that has been the core. We have yet, uh, at least to my understanding, to have a medication on the market that directly and primarily impacts the innate immune system uh, in a way that would benefit multiple sclerosis patients. So we'll come back to some of the therapies because there's some interesting points there on, on what we've learned. Actually, I'll, I'll sort of say this now. So what we know, we put up the, the big slide of the immunopathogenesis of MS with all the different players that makes people's head spin is that about Half of that information came from studying EAE, animal models and that, and the other half came from successful clinical trials that we then reverse engineered. We said, okay, it worked. Now let's find out why. So, so putting on the historical perspective again, we started using interferon in the 80s because of its antiviral properties. And it turns out that had nothing to do with its, its effect on the immune system in terms of having a benefit in multiple sclerosis and some of these others too. And then some like say glutarum or acetate, I'm still not entirely sure what it does. I, I, I agree with what you were saying in terms of Th1, Th2 shifts, but there's so little effect on any other part of the immune system um, that I don't fully understand that. But then moving forward, I think that you've highlighted this, that this is a, a major unmet need. So, so what do we have in the pipeline to look at, say, having impact on innate immunity? Well, I, I think it's worth noting that despite having uh, more than 20 years of what I would call revolutionary changes in therapeutics, I think multiple sclerosis has been the benefactor of one of the largest explosion in therapeutic options compared to almost any other neurologic condition uh, that we treat 
And yet, despite having so many really good options, the explosion continues. There are a lot of different agents in the pipeline with completely different mechanisms of actions, completely different routes of administrations, safety profiles, et cetera, that we really do have a plethora of options. What's in the pipeline that's unique relative to the conversation we're having about the intersection between innate and adaptive immune system, I think has to be the uh, Bruton's tyrosine kinase inhibitor families or BTK inhibitor families because the Bruton's tyrosine kinase is a critical enzyme originally described as controlling the fates of B cells, but as it turns out, also plays a critical role in the activation and expansion of uh, innate immune cells, specifically monocytes, macrophages, microglia. And uh, by altering the biology, altering the uh, activity of this kinase, at least in animal studies and, and in vitro studies, uh, there is a change in the biology of the innate immune system and even supportive pathways that appear to uh, support uh, repair or remyelination. And so there are lots of opportunities via one pathway to potentially impact both the adaptive and the innate immune system in beneficial ways uh, for our patients. And so there are multiple different versions of BTK inhibitors that are under study. Uh, they're in different phases of development, including phase one, two, and phase three trials. And while these drugs that are in the pipeline are part of a similar class, it's going to be really important for us to pay attention to each drug independently because they have very different uh, molecular and chemical profiles in terms of how they alter the biology of this kinase. And so while we tend to think of drugs in classes like, oh, it's just another statin, uh, for the BTK inhibitors, even though they are cousins, they're going to have distinct and important differences. And we're going to have to wait and see with the results of the phase three trials to see uh, what impacts they have for our patients, uh, both in terms of suppressing relapses and potentially helping on uh, restoration of function. That would be a really exciting result if we were able to achieve it. How about uh, phosphodiesterase inhibitors? Also an area that is receiving a lot of attention. There was a successful phase two trial and moving to phase three trial of altering a um, pathway that has distinct implications for the innate immune system, although there's also activity on the adaptive side. Another example where there is a biology that crosses over from the antigen-specific to the antigen-nonspecific portions of the immune system and I think we're going to see an evolution um, over these years of really digging into our understanding of which part of the innate immune system is going to be most important to target and how relative to multiple sclerosis. Any other pipeline agents you see? So there, there are in the early stages. The um, phosphodiesterase uh, inhibitors and the, the BTK inhibitors are probably furthest along. There are other agents um, that target uh, the cellular respiratory cycle within the central nervous system and look at the generation of reactive oxygen species, which is one of the roles, uh, that, uh, one of the mechanisms, excuse me, that microglia can use to damage tissue. Um, there are studies using gold nanoparticles in phase one and phase one, two uh, studies that alter the expression of those reactive oxygen species and alter the activation of the innate immune system, at least in animal models. 
And so I, I think there's a, a long pipeline uh, through all stages uh, that we may see some exciting news out of. So you mentioned uh, earlier on about resetting the immune system. So the ultimate resetting of the immune system that's available to us at the present time would be hematogenous stem cell uh, replacement. Um, how do you think that impacts each of the arms of the, or limbs of the immune system? Yeah, it's, it's a great question in terms of this innate and adaptive immune system. So in the most um, uh, extreme, if you will, of uh, stem cell therapy from the immunology perspective, uh, specifically the bone marrow transplant, even if it's an autologous bone marrow transplant, uh, at its core is the notion that you are wiping out uh, in its entirety the adaptive immune system and to a significant, albeit incomplete capacity, the innate immune system, giving somebody back a bone marrow to regrow an immune system, presumably without the deficits that they had going in. And if you look at any of the trials that have been done uh, uh, in an at least open label fashion, because you really can't blind these trials, what you see are some pretty staggering numbers in terms of the uh, percent of population that go into long-term remission without other therapies. Now, obviously bone marrow transplants have risks and have to be done carefully, but it really shows us that the extreme of a reset uh, can make the difference for these conditions. But it's worth noting one particular aspect of those trials, and that's at looking at the 5, 10, 15 year outcome data relative to brain atrophy, relative to progression, and whether or not uh, we are successfully getting rid of that aspect of the disease. I think it's too early to know for sure, and there are trials ongoing. But if we were to see, that a bone marrow transplant was uh, extremely successful at stopping relapses, uh, more successful than anything else. But 15 years later, as patients got to 45, 50, 55 years of age, we started to see what looked like progressive disease. For me, it would raise the question, are we uncovering the impact of the innate immune system relative to progressive disease? Were we unable to get rid of those microglia resident within the central nervous system, and they are still putting out an inflammatory signal that leads to neurodegeneration. I don't think we know yet what the answer is going to be, uh, but the trials, uh, thankfully, are ongoing and getting a lot of support nationally and internationally. So I think it's going to be a question we get to answer over the next 10 years. Yeah, that, you, you've raised some very important issues around that particular therapy because it's not particularly benign. Um, and if it doesn't have a really long-term solution, then one has to question the validity. If we really thought we were completely resetting the immune system, it would wipe out all disease activity completely, and that would be very nice. Um, that doesn't appear to be the case, uh, even in our, in our um, allergenic uh, bone marrow transplants. You don't fully wipe out the original immune system, but it's an interesting thing to do. The other topic I wanted to come back to was uh, in terms of the, the B cell inhibitors and, and how you think they're actually working. Uh, obviously, they're working more on the adaptive immune system, but where do you think they're working there? Because they work pretty quickly, which would suggest it's not antibody. Yeah, correct. And so when we look at the anti-CD20 monoclonal antibodies that are available, it's worth reminding people that the CD20 molecule is expressed on 
mature uh, B cells, naive B cells, memory B cells, but it is not expressed on plasma cells. And so when we give one of the anti-CD20 monoclonal antibodies, the plasma cells are still perfectly able to produce antibodies and indeed do so for months and years to come. There is a low rate of hypogamma globulinemia that can occur in patients who are on these therapies for a long period of time, but the benefit is uh, achieved within the first six months of going on uh, one of these therapies. So clearly the B cell is playing a critical role in the pathogenesis of multiple sclerosis, or at least the relapses of multiple sclerosis, independent of antibody production. And in general, our thought would be it falls into one of two mechanistic categories. So one is B cells are one of the major antigen presenting cells to other parts of the immune system. And so if you disrupt that feedback loop between B and T cells, you may lead to a global reduction in inflammation, even independent of antibody production. And secondly, activated B cells produce a variety of cytokines that play a critical role in inducing changes of the blood-brain barrier, promote inflammation, recruitment of T cells. And so again, via their role as a communicator within the immune system, using an anti-CD20 monoclonal antibody and depleting those B cells seems to really short circuit that biology in a profound and quick way, but it's clearly independent of short circuiting antibody production. Excellent. Well, well thank you very much, uh, Ben. I think that, that for neurologists, neurologists in training, uh, it's critical to understand the functions of the immune system, not only for MS, which as you alluded to is the leading area of neurotherapeutics at the present time, but also for the growing areas, things like uh, neuromyelitis optica spectrum disorders, the autoimmune encephalitides, and there still is sort of this groundswell of interest and inflammation in all of the neurodegenerative diseases. Um, and so I think that, that this kind of understanding, the kind of insights that you provided with us today are very important for our, our neurologic community. So I thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you, Fred. And as I remind all of my stroke, movement disorder, epilepsy, neuro-oncology colleagues, in the end, the immune system is important for all of us. So you're welcome to come on by anytime and we'll help you sort it out. Well, thank you, Ben. And thank you all for listening in.